If you want to turn in your Bibles to the book of Ruth in the Old Testament, have you ever wanted to say to yourself, the Lord has dealt harshly with me? In the book of Ruth, actually the main character is not Ruth, but it's a woman named Naomi. And actually our singing and our reading today has talked a lot about redemption, and she was a woman in need of redemption. She was a widow, a widow whose two sons had died. And as far as she knew, her family had no future in Israel. She's had a hard life. She had to flee her homeland, or she chose to flee her homeland in a famine and lived as a refugee for 10 years in a foreign land. Have you ever been tempted to say, life just isn't turning out the way I expected it to? a marriage that didn't last, children who turned away, health problems, a business that failed, uh, not getting into the school you or your parents expected you to get into. Sometimes we regret our sinful choices, our wrong choices. I was counseling a man, I'll call him Sam, and he came to me and he was very depressed, and part of his depression was he felt like he had about 20 years earlier come to a fork in the road and he took a wrong turn and he felt like he'd kind of gotten off the highway of God's will and there was no way back on again. And perhaps you got into a relationship, perhaps you did something in the past you're ashamed of or you're suffering the consequences of, of bad decisions. I think that's part of Naomi's story as well. And in the midst of depression, actually for a Christian there are extra challenges because when trouble comes for an unbeliever, he can just say, well, I'm unlucky. But Naomi has pretty good theology. She realizes that when she says, the hand of the Lord has gone against me, that she understands that God is sovereign and for some reason he's allowed what has happened to her and yet she doesn't see a purpose in it. Now, as we look at this passage in Ruth chapter one, I wanna give you uh, some background. First, to how I like to approach Old Testament narrative. I love Old Testament narrative. And there are three things I typically want to do. The first is to explain the passage, exegete, expound the passage, especially understand the context. There are things about Ruth's story, Naomi's story in the Old Testament that are different than our story today. Uh, for example, because they were living in the Old Covenant. A big issue in this story is that it's important that there be an heir for the family of Naomi so that he can live in the land, the, the inheritance his family had in Israel. And it was an absolute calamity not to be able to inherit and, and not to carry on the family name. And that's the situation Naomi is in. They also had customs of gleaning for widows and marriage for widows that we don't have today under the new covenant. So to understand the book of Ruth, you have to understand what's going on back then. And we're going to spend some time in, at the end of Ruth chapter 1 explaining a situation with Naomi. The second thing we want to do is to show how these things apply to us today. In uh, 1 Corinthians 10 and in Romans 15, Paul tells us that the things that were written long ago were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And so it's not just some story that might be kind of fun to tell kids long ago and far away. There was a lady named Ruth and a man named Boaz and a lady named Naomi. These are things that apply to us today. And the application I'm gonna make primarily is when your life seems to have gone completely wrong and everything seems to be a disappointment and you're sad, 
to realize that God is still a redeemer. God still delivers us as his people. And there is reason for hope as we fight the sadness and even fighting our tendency to depression. There's a third thing, I wonder if you know what it would be. The third thing that's really important is to show how redemption is throughout the entire Bible, how the whole Bible points to Christ. So even though it's a week before Easter, we can talk about redemption from the book of Ruth. And actually Ruth is pretty easy to get that from, as we're gonna see. But Jesus in Luke 24, after he'd been raised, he went through the entire Old Testament and showed how all of it points to him. And in the book of Ruth, Naomi's story is kind of a, a hopeless, forsaken widow is not just Naomi's story, it's the story of Israel in the days of the judges. Israel was oppressed by her neighbors, she couldn't even have her own weapons, she had horrible leadership. It seemed like all the promises God had made to Israel weren't being fulfilled, and that was their own fault because of their disobedience, but Israel needed a redeemer. And the last word of the book of Ruth, anybody know what the last word of the book of Ruth is? Last word of the book of Ruth is David. So in the book of Ruth, God is not just providing redemption for Naomi, God is providing redemption for Israel in the days of the judges to finally have someone who will make Israel great, not again, but for the first time. And then the Lord is also bringing redemption to us. We are like Naomi, we are like Israel, we are a people in great need of redemption, largely because of our own sins and failures. And so the redemption that is portrayed in the book of Ruth points to the redemption we have in Christ. So all that's going on. And it's something really beautiful in, in the scriptures. So the context, just to get up to the end of the chapter, which I'm gonna focus on today, is that Naomi and her husband Elimelech in the early part of the chapter had gone with their two sons when there was a famine in Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. And they left the promised land and they went to Moab. And in Moab, they went there because they wanted to eat and it was hard living in Israel. But then Elimelech dies, then their two sons Mahlon and Kilion die. Naomi's left with her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and, and Ruth. And then Naomi hears in verse three, I believe it is, that now there's rain again and she wants to go back to Bethlehem. And her two daughters-in-law are gonna come along and right before they are gonna to go to Bethlehem, Naomi tells the daughters-in-law to go back to Moab. They kind of reach a fork in the road and says, you, Orpah and Ruth, you go back and be with your families in Moab and I'll head on to Bethlehem. And Orpah leaves, that's verse 14. They lifted up their voices and wept again and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Then, Ruth, then Naomi said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me and worse if anything but death parts you and me. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. And so this is where actually I'm gonna focus on verses 19 to 22, is now we have Naomi coming back to Bethlehem 10 years later, and I'll read continuing in verse 19. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they had come to Bethlehem, all of the city was stirred because of them, and the women said, is this Naomi? Then she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. 
For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and with her Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So we see in this passage, Naomi's in a very bad way, and yet these things are spoken to us as well. And I don't know many of you personally, but probably some of you right now may feel like Naomi. Life feels bitter to you. Things have not gone the way you expected. If not, if you're not Naomi, you're, you may be sitting next to or nearby a Naomi, or you have people like that in your life. And sometimes just everything's going wrong against them. And there's a temptation to be sad, bitter, uh, depressed. And as Naomi comes into Bethlehem, uh, she makes a very stirring entrance. She's been gone about 10 years. They thought they were going to go for a sojourn, like maybe one season or a few months. And when she comes in, the, it says the women are shocked at her appearance. Is this Naomi? And probably, well, where is her husband? Where are her children? Who is this woman, uh, foreigner, walking with her? Uh, to give you an analogy, it'd be like you go to your 10 or 20-year high school reunion, and people smile when they see you and say, you haven't changed a bit. And then they whisper, the years have not been kind to her. Um, I think probably Naomi's face had a haggard appearance. She is sad, and she, she wants, she says, the first stop is going to be go to the DMV and do a name change. I'm no longer cheerful, which is what Naomi means. Call me Mara, which is bitter. Um, how sad she is. Now, the good news is that the name doesn't stick. She, by the end of the book, is Naomi again. You see, well, why do people get depressed? And, and there are various reasons, but the most common reason people get depressed is that they're sad because of loss. She's lost her husband, she's lost her sons, and along with that, she's lost all hope for her family's name to continue in the future. And again, all of us want our family's name to continue. We all want to have children to pass down our stuff to. But in the context of Israel, as they're waiting for the Messiah, and as they're possessing the land, and each family has their little piece of the land and their inheritance, this is a total disaster. And so she said, I went out full. Man, I was a woman with a husband and two sons. Not one, but two sons. That's status. And now God has emptied me. There's no hope for my future. My family's just going to be blotted out and forgotten. So she is concerned. And, and it's normal to feel sad when bad things happen. And that's not a disease to feel sad when awful things happen. Dr. Charles Hodges, who's a biblical counselor and medical doctor, uh, writes a whole book about this. And he says how most of what we call depression is just sadness over loss. Uh, it, when Sarah died, Abraham wept over her. And that's just the normal thing to do. And yet, sadness can be risky because Naomi in this situation, like many depressed people, especially depressed Christians, is, is tempted to be bitter against the Lord. Uh, back in verse 13, she says, the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. And as I mentioned earlier, that an atheist shouldn't have a problem of evil because you're just lucky or unlucky in a random universe of chance. But if you believe like Ephesians 1.11 and Romans 8.28 say that God works all things after the counsel of his will, then when your business fails or someone you love gets very sick or other hard things happen to you, 
you realize, as Naomi does, ultimately God has allowed this. Uh, in Isaiah, he says, I am the Lord, there is no other, the one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. And Naomi, in the passage we're focusing on, is, is just taking every opportunity she can to complain. And even this word almighty in the Hebrew is Shaddai. And it, it, it references God's great and infinite power. And it's kind of like, here I am, poor little Naomi, poor helpless weak Naomi, and this big bully is picking on me, and what can I say? Now, another common aspect of people who are sad is I don't think she recognizes adequately her own contribution to her plight. Uh, they left that promised land to try to get food somewhere else. That happened in Genesis a couple times. It always turned out badly when Abraham did it, when Isaac did it. And there were lots of people who stayed in Bethlehem and they survived when Naomi came back. So they went among the pagans, which was a bad idea. And then on top of that, her sons married Moabite women. And in Deuteronomy 7, the Israelites were told, don't intermarry with the unbelieving idol worshipers. And so Naomi's not just a victim. Uh, she has contributed to her difficulties. Other biblical characters have also struggled like this. It's interesting in, for Jacob or Israel, when uh, Joseph was gone, he was afraid he was going to lose Benjamin. He, he says, oh, you know, everything is against me. Of course, he didn't realize everything was actually about to go for him. It's similar to Jonah when his gourd died and he says, I have every reason to be angry even unto death. Although the person in the Bible Naomi may most be like is Job. Job was a person who experienced loss, loss of children, a loss of property. He was emptied and he did not know what God was doing, just like Naomi doesn't know what God is doing. And actually Naomi and Job use similar language. Job says, the arrows of the Almighty, same word, are within me. Their poison my spirit drinks. The terrors of God are arrayed against me. The Almighty has embittered my soul. And as I mentioned earlier, I think Naomi's condition, as you read the book of Ruth, which is sandwiched between, uh, in the day, it's in the days of the judges, right before uh, the kings, you know, and Samuel leads to that, is Israel was oppressed, they were beaten down, they were divided, they had ungodly leadership. They were as barren and hopeless as Naomi. And they, to some degree, like Naomi, have a relationship with God but it's not going well. Uh, now there's another aspect of this, and this is important for those of us who struggle with sadness or depression, is Naomi, like many depressed people, fails to recognize all the good things that God is doing. And if you are depressed or you're counseling someone who's depressed, a good thing to do is they've got these kind of dark glasses on where everything seems awful and it's like they just can't see uh, the good things. There are many good things God is doing Naomi could have already recognized as she had eyes to see. One aspect is that the famine, in verse, it's in verse 6, that the Lord has visited people, his people giving them food. And in verse 22 is the beginning of the barley harvest. So God has shown mercy. And, and by the way, I should have mentioned earlier, when you read the Old Testament, I can't tell you why we have seasons and different droughts and too much rain in our world today, but according to the book of Deuteronomy for Israel, if they were faithful to God, they had plenty of food. If they were 
unfaithful, they had famine. So the famine wasn't just a bad weather luck. It was God's judgment upon their unfaithfulness, and apparently they've repented. God has given the rains again. Good things are beginning to happen. Uh, the next chapter begins with people out in the fields harvesting food. It's kind of like the, the, the music in the movie changes from the sad minor key. Now it's a major key, and people are eating again. Not only that, just in verse 19, they went and came to Bethlehem. Here you have apparently two women apparently traveling alone in the days of the judges. If you've read the book of the judges, traveling alone was not a good idea, generally speaking. God has brought them safely a multiple days journey from Moab to Bethlehem. And there's another thing, and that is that the Lord cares about widows and has made provision for them in his law. And this is actually be the framework of the rest of the book of Ruth. Uh, the psalmist says that a father to the fatherless and a judge for the widows is God in his holy habitation. God makes a home for the lonely. And in Deuteronomy 24 and 25, there are actually two provisions God had made for widows, and I'm not going to read them in detail because of time, but in Deuteronomy 24:19, it says, when you reap your harvest in the field and have forgotten a sheaf in the field, do not go back and get it. It shall be for the alien, the orphan, and for the widow. So God basically said, when you're harvesting your crops, don't be careful. <laughs> if you drop stuff and you don't do the corners of the field, and it's an amazingly brilliant welfare program, and that is that the very poor, including the widows, can go and they, can, they won't starve, they will have food uh, as I provide in my law. And that's chapter two of the book of Ruth. When Ruth goes out and she goes gleaning in the field of Boaz, and Boaz follows the law, and Ruth brings home ample food as Boaz is generously, deliberately dropping food, actually, for the widow. So God has made provision for widows. And there's a second provision in Deuteronomy 25, which says that when a man dies, verse 5, and leaves no son, then his widow could, should be married to someone in the family so that this man's name can carry on. And that's Ruth chapters 3 and 4, that God, rather than Naomi's hopeless situation of saying, no one is going to carry on our family name, no one is going to uh, possess our land, it's just going to go to somebody else. Well, God has made provision, and it's going to be Ruth, the widow of Naomi's son, who is going to marry Boaz and produce a son, Obed, who will carry on the family name, and actually way beyond what Naomi would have ever thought, because it's, gonna, it's amazing what God is going to do for her. But she's, she's, she's not remembering the truth of the Word of God that should have given her hope. Not only that, kind of a sad thing when Naomi says, I have returned empty, I feel sorry for Ruth. There's Ruth right there. And here's this woman whom who has is, who is abandoned everything to join Naomi, and Ruth's the one who's going to go out gleaning while Naomi stays home. Ruth's the one who's going to have the baby that Naomi gets to hold at the end of the book. So she's not alone, and she's not empty. And not only that, God has saved her daughter-in-law. And, and one of the saddest verses in the book is when when Naomi tells, Ru, starts, tells Ruth and Orpah her daughters-in-law, go back to your people and your gods. And she's essentially telling them to go to, I won't say the third word, but it's a hot place. She's saying, go back to Moab and worship your gods. And Ruth says, I'm not going. 
Why isn't she going? And we often read those verses at weddings or something, and, but it's family loyalty, but it's, it's, it's not just family loyalty. It says, your God shall be my God. Ruth has been converted in spite of Naomi being perhaps the worst evangelist in all of history. She says, go back to Moab and worship those gods. And Ruth says, no, I've heard about God from you. I'm coming with you. Uh, we have some young people here, and just as a, an example for you, when I was a brand new Christian, when I was uh, in my mid-teens, there was a guy that I was shooting baskets with, and I was getting very serious about being a Christian. And I'm not the wisest, but he, this guy really wanted to spend a lot of time with me. I said, look, I'm a serious Christian. If you want to spend time with me, you need to become a Christian. And he had come from a Roman Catholic background, and he started coming to meetings and everything. Well, God saved this guy. We're still friends. Actually, we went and saw him. He's living in Dallas. And in spite of my horrible evangelistic technique, he says he still has the Bible I gave him when we were 15, which would have been like 1974. And you know, God doesn't make sense. Naomi should have been pretty excited. Wouldn't you be thrilled if God used you to even save one person? And then another thing is just simply that our God is a gracious God who brings good out of the calamities experienced by his people. There's a famous verse in Jeremiah 29, 11, where the Lord says, for, you, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not calamity, to give you a future and a hope. And now the context of that verse is in the future when Israel or Judah are in exile, Judah is in exile to Babylon, and that's what's happening then. And God says, as, as hopeless as that situation seems, I still have plans to redeem you. So it's not just talking about if your baseball or football team loses, it'll all be fine or something. It's, it's redemption. And God is saying, when you are my people, if you belong to him, I have plans for good for you because I'm a gracious God. And, and this does apply that Naomi, in spite of her failure, she still is a child of God. And at the end of the book, she's going to be holding a baby. And they're actually, the women are going to say, Naomi has a son. Now, Naomi didn't bear that child. Ruth did. But it's, it's like it's now Elimelech and, you know, her, it's carrying on her family's name. It's, it's for her. God plans to bring her redemption. And likewise, Israel, in, in their pitiful condition, thinking God has not been good to them when it's really their fault, God, the, the last word in the book of Ruth, as said, is David that this is the hinge where Israel comes out of their miserable, pathetic, oppressed position and God raises up the man who will be the great king who will drive out the enemies and make Israel a great nation in the region and, and the promises of God to his people will be fulfilled through him. And then when you jump into the New Testament and you look at the genealogy of Jesus, there's Ruth and Boaz and Obed and, and it's through you know, Obed, Jesse, David and, you know, God, talk about blessing Naomi and her family. Your family's in the Messianic line. Your, the line you thought was dead culminates in Christ. And Christ is bringing redemption for a world which is as much as redemption, in need of redemption as Naomi. So God is doing great things. God is working out a plan for a family, for a nation, and for all of humanity in this little family's problem. So how do you help someone? who is so sad, who is blind to the good things that God is doing, and just wanted to make a few applications. So I hope you see, I've tried to explain the text. I've shown you, I hope, how you can see how it points to the gospel of Christ. It's not just a story, it's about redemption. But then, 
how do you help someone who's really, really sad because they feel like they've lost everything and they feel like God is against them? Um, one thing it should do is just stir compassion. The scripture says, weep with those who weep. Um, the one who sings songs to a sad, sad heart, it says it's like, uh, you know, it's, it's bad, it's troubling to them, and it's, it's not compassionate. And so that pain is real. It, Proverbs even describes how, in one sense, in Proverbs 18, 14, the spirit of a man can endure his sickness, but it's for a broken spirit who can bear it. There is sadness sometimes that's worse than physical pain, and it's real. And so we, we shouldn't be too hard on people who struggle, and we should care for those in need, not just materially, but spiritually, and befriend them. Uh, also, we need to be careful because Naomi's words are sometimes contradicting her faith and her theology, and we need to be careful, as the psalmist says in Psalm 73, my foot almost slept. We, we should not slip. We, we should not stumble and speak ill of God. Uh, also, just to raise the question again briefly, well, why do people get depressed? And, and the Bible actually gives different reasons. In Psalm 32, after David had committed murder or adultery, then murder, he says, when I remained silent about my sin, my body wasted away. Night and day, your hand was heavy upon me. And so, he, you might have diagnosed David to be clinically depressed. Well, it wasn't that he had a disease. Uh, God was disciplining him for sin. But not all depression is because of sin. Now you have Naomi, and this is probably the most common cause, is great loss. You've, you've, again, you've lost someone you love. You've lost your health. You've lost your dreams. Every, your circumstances of life have gone against you. you. You've worked hard building up a business and everything was going fine until a year ago and then COVID hit and other people did okay. If you're Amazon, you're fine. But if you're a mom and pop business, you did everything right. You avoided debt and now it's gone under. And why did God let this happen? And I think that's the most common cause of loss. This is what the psalmist talks about in Psalm 42 when he's describing, he remembers better days when he had joy in the Lord. He was among the Lord's people and now... Um, Everything has gone against him. Will medicine, will drugs solve the problem of depression? And I'm not a medical doctor, and I'm not here to give medical advice. I'll state by saying that I think taking psychotropic drugs is a matter of Christian liberty. Probably some of you are taking them, and it's not my job to get you to stop. I will tell you that when they work, all they do is deal with symptoms, not causes. And if the cause is spiritual, then that needs to be addressed. And I've had cases where once the cause has been addressed, then the desire and the need for the medication may go away, but not always. There's some people who are on it for a long time. I'm in no way judging that. Uh, Dr. Hodges, who's kind of my resident expert, would say that for people mildly depressed to moderately depressed, the drugs probably don't help. For people who have extreme depression, which in some unusual cases can be physiological, they might help. But for most of us, what we need when we're sad is to figure out why am I sad and then address the spiritual struggles that we're having in the midst of the sadness. And by the end of the book, God so blesses Naomi, she's full of joy. But as I think, now I'm gonna go back to my guy, Sam. Sam is a man, as I said, he felt like God had called him to a certain thing when he was a young man, and instead of taking that turn, he had a normal career, got married, and didn't do the mission thing that he thought he was supposed to do. 
And since then, life has been difficult in some ways. He, he worked very hard for a company. He poured his life into it. He made it successful. And just when things were coming together and he was going to get the benefits after working long, hard hours and contributing so much, they just let him go. And then he was having a hard time getting another job that could support his family. And uh, just full of sadness and, and full of, of bitterness. And, you know, how do you help someone? Especially, he thinks, maybe if I hadn't done this other thing many years ago, none of this would have happened to me. Um, well, what can you do? Well, he needs to remember who God is. Uh, and this is going to get to one central point I'm going to make in terms of application. And that is that John 8:44 says, Satan is a liar and a murderer. He is one who destroys and he destroys with lies. Back in the Garden of Eden, he told lies that brought death and sin into the world. And Satan lies to us. He lies to us about who God is, as if God is not fair, or like Naomi, the Almighty is against me. And so much of the cure to the, the sadness and the struggle we have is to remember the truth about who God is. And you know, so many verses that tell us that uh, Psalm 100, the Lord is good, his loving kindness is everlasting, his faithfulness to all generations. Uh, in my prayers often I use the Lord's Prayer as a, an outline for personal prayer. And uh, we've actually had quite a few trials in recent weeks, sometimes seem overwhelming. And just even the first word of the prayer is Father. God as a Father, as Psalm 103 says, was a compassion upon us as our children. And I think we're tempted when things are hard to think God is kind of an impersonal, distant, mighty one who doesn't care. But that's a lie. That's Satan's lie. The truth is that God is a Father who loves us. You read Psalm 23, he is a shepherd and we are his sheep and he loves his sheep. John 10 says the good shepherd laid down his life for us, his sheep. Psalm 23 says that we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He is still with us. He doesn't make us lie down in the valley of shadow of death. He brings us through the valley of the shadow of death. And he never leaves us nor forsakes us. We have to trust in the promises of God that they're long-term, that uh, yes, things were hard for Israel back then and for Naomi back then, but God did have good plans for him. And uh, yeah, there's a lie, false teaching is your best life is now. Well, the Bible says your best life is later, that our present trials one day will seem light and momentary compared to the glory yet to be revealed when Christ comes back again. And, and so we, Jesus said, in the world you will have trouble. And again, there's lying theology sometimes that well, if God's on your side, it's all gonna be good. And I think that's some of what Naomi was tempted to know. Who did God love more than any, any other man who has ever lived? His son. Who suffered more than any other man who has ever lived? His son. Your suffering doesn't mean God doesn't love you that he would not allow you to suffer if he did not have a good purpose in it. But again, those things take faith in the midst of our struggles. We need to remember the truth. It also can help to remember the present manifestations of God's goodness to us. And I've already gone through that with Naomi, is God had you know, brought them safely back and Ruth has been saved and she's got someone to help her and God has promises in his word and provision for widows. All of that seems to be out of her sight. And there's a famous saying by uh, the great British preacher of the 20th century, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, when we're depressed, we need to stop listening to ourselves and we need to start talking to ourselves. If you just listen to where your mind goes kind of on autopilot, you're gonna wander down a very sad road. 
but you need to force yourself, like Philippians 4 says, whatever is true and good and right and honorable, dwell on these things, and, and to remember the truth in the midst of the lies. And in the case of Sam in particular, I actually gave him an assignment. This is one of my favorite assignments to give people when counseling, and we actually created a counseling card from it. I, I have some of my books out there, and some of these cards are available for free. I don't have enough for everybody. I've got some with me, some back there if you want to grab them when you're done. I have them for different topics, but one is for sadness. And it really kind of came out of a combination of Naomi and Sam in terms of, um, and this is an assignment I give. And I would challenge you actually for yourself, when things are really hard, and when you're struggling spiritually like Naomi seemed to be, make a list of the lies that the evil one keeps telling you. And then make next to each of the lies one of the truths from the Word of God that answers the lie. Because Satan is a liar, and God offers true wisdom. And this is actually, this card, which I've given thousands of them out probably over the years, is actually came out of Sam's homework uh, as we also worked through Naomi together. I'm just going to give you some of his lies that he came up with for himself and the truth from the Word of God. And these can be issues that you deal with as well. Also, by the way, you can print your own cards. I have a website with my name on it where you can get them there. But lies I'm listening to, the first is God is against me, right? That's what Naomi is saying. The Almighty is against me. Well, the Scripture actually says God is for you. Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not give his own son, but did not spare him for us all. How will you not with him give us all things? Well, my situation is hopeless. Again, that's Naomi. There's no way I can have a son. There's no way my family will continue. Well, our God is the God of hope. Back to Jeremiah 29, that he, if you're his people, he has good plans for you. Romans 8, 28, he works all things, even our foolishness sometimes, even our sinful mistakes of the past. He is so great, he's able to work them together for good because we are those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Well, I am all alone. That's Naomi again, right? Here I am, I'm empty. Well, no, actually, Ruth was there. Well, again, God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I love Psalm 27. It says, even if my father and my mother have forsaken me, you are there. Even if our families have let us down, God is there and he is enough. Well, I just can't live without blank. I just can't live without a husband, a wife, a child, whatever it is we think we need. Um, no, God is all we need. In Jeremiah 17, it says, if you trust in people, you'll be like the bush in the desert. Caroline talked about that with the ladies on Friday night. But it says, if you trust in God, you'll be like the tree planted by rivers of water. And sometimes God takes away or threatens to take away the things we love the most just to make us depend upon him all the more and realize that he is enough. Well, I've ruined my life by my sin. You know, if the Lord were to say, look, Naomi, you were bad to go to Moab. You were bad to let your sons marry these Moabite women. I'm just going to let you live with it. He, he could have chosen to do that. But our God is a God who forgives and restores. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The woman who, the young woman who did something with a bad boyfriend she shouldn't have done. And maybe even after that, did something to an unborn baby she shouldn't have done. And she may think, well, nobody will ever want me. Well, as she turns to the Lord and finds grace and forgiveness, God may yet provide a Boaz. If God can provide a Boaz for Ruth, a foreign woman, 
He can provide a Boaz even for you. My life is unfair. That's the lie. No, our God is just. Uh, he will bring trouble to those who do, who oppose him ultimately. God doesn't care. And again, the, the care that's most plain is that he gave his son for us. I'm no good. Okay, you're right about that one. Paul says, it's a trustworthy statement deserving a full acceptance. Christ Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am chief. That my self-worth is not obtained by my beauty, my accomplishments, my intelligence, my wealth. The only thing I have to stand on is the perfect righteousness of Christ imputed to me by the grace of God. So my standing is not in myself, my standing is in redemption, the same redemption that Naomi and Ruth experienced, Israel experienced, and we have experienced in Christ. So I hope, and again, I'm just touching on the book of Ruth, go home today and read the whole book, but it's a story about redemption, it's a family, just an ordinary family in Israel, but God cares about them. And he chooses to bring redemption to unworthy Naomi, and again, what a beautiful picture to the end. Say, Naomi has a son. She's holding this baby. And for Israel in the days of the judges, this baby is going to be the grandfather of David who's going to finally conquer the Philistines and make Israel the great nation they were meant to be. And then for us, as we think of the events we'll be remembering later this coming week, that through David, through Ruth, comes Christ. When we were hopeless and lost. Christ has come. Christ has come to die for our sins once for all, the just one for the unjust to bring us to God. And so if you ever question whether God is for you, the gospel proves that he is with you because he's brought redemption. We already read in Colossians 1, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Naomi and Ruth had a redeemer, Israel had a redeemer, but now we have a great redeemer, our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise and glory be to him. Let's pray.